church. How are y'all doing this morning? I, I am excited to be in church. Sunday morning is the best day, of the w- best time of the week, and church is essential. It is. I want to welcome everybody who's joined us here. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. Thank you for being here. Uh, We are in a series called The Prep Work. This entire year, we have the theme called The Adventure. And what an adventure it has actually turned out to be. Uh, We planned this out last year when we didn't know what was going to happen this year. And for every adventure, you need prep work. Uh, if you're, you're going on a vacation, going on a, a hunting trip or, or whatever, you need prep work. And so last week we started with prayer. Today we're, we're, we're doing the second spiritual discipline in our, uh, in our series called Study. Now, this, may, this is a tough topic to make interesting because how in the world do you make the spiritual discipline of study exciting? <clears throat> well, I'm going to give it my best shot, and I hope that you guys like this. Before we get started, though, I want to let you guys know that uh, as of last week, a small group of people in this church that I know of that were decided to get together at 6.30 every morning in, in their homes and everything and spend 15 minutes in prayer every single day for a church, for world events, just as the Holy Spirit leads. And that is going on right now. Um, there will be some more testimonies coming out of that, but that is one thing that people started doing as a result of last week's message. So I want you, maybe if you want to join them, set your alarm for 6.30 in the morning, 15 minutes in prayer, and there will be plenty of people praying with you as well. All right, so um, uh, we're getting into... Study. So between the 1740 and 1834, the years, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, and Virginia all passed what came to be known as anti-literacy laws. Why in the world would they pass anti-literacy laws? Well, I'll tell you this. They were laws prohibiting the education of slaves. Um, Slaves that could read and write were dangerous, the slave masters decided. Because not only could they read about natural rights, not only could they communicate with each other, but slaves that could write could forge documents and things like that, ID papers. In fact, on runaway slave posters, it listed whether or not the slave was literate so that slave catchers could actually look for forged ID papers. Um, and they, 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 they could know, it, the slave catchers could know. Uh, South Carolina prohibited teaching slaves to read and write, punishable by a fine of 100 pounds, that's when we're under uh, the British, British uh, government, and six months in prison via an amendment to its 1939, uh, 1739 Negro Act, is what it was called. Interesting to note that Confederate General Stonewall Jackson, who's been very vilified this year and and his statue's been torn down everywhere, uh, believed that all people had the God-given right to to read and write. And in defiance of Virginia state law, taught school on Sunday at the Lexington Presbyterian Church. Every Sunday, together with his wife, he taught African-American children to read and write. He did this from 1851 until the outbreak of the Civil War 10 years later. So what does this have to do with anything? Well... Here's what I'll tell you. It just seems that nothing's changed. It just seems that nothing's changed. Um, re, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, when I was, a, when I was beginning, uh, when I was growing up and I was taking my first steps into the Christian faith, um, <clears throat> churches started going forth with the mantra, uh, we don't need doctrine or study, we just need Jesus. You may have heard that. That was really popular back in the 80s and 90s when I was a young man. And it sounded great. It really did. And I bought into it as well. Nothing but Jesus was our mantra. 
I mean, you may have heard this. We don't need doctrine. We don't, we don't need the old legalistic ways. We're going to throw off all the mistakes, the, the routine going through the motions, the, the, the following of God's laws and, and, and studying all that kind of stuff, all legalistic pathways. We're going to have a new freedom, <clears throat> nothing but Jesus. Uh, we're going to stop just going through the motions learning stale statutes and laws and legalism, we're going to usher in what we believed was a new era of Christianity. We believe that no one in the prior 2,000 years had gotten it right. We were going to be the ones to get it right and really follow Jesus, nothing but Jesus. Churches moved away from emphasizing study of the Bible. That was not seen as seeker-sensitive. Then need it. After all, we wanted nothing but Jesus. Let's take a look and see if that's been a good thing for the church. Follow along with me on the screen. August 30th, 2020 in Newsweek, 52% of Americans say Jesus isn't God but was just a great teacher. Now, this is in a country where 80, 85% of the population says they're Christian. I'm sorry, if you do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are not a Christian. You're not. You may be a very nice person, but if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Okay? May 15, 2018, Barna Research found that sharing faith is increasingly optional for Christians. Christians think it's an optional thing to share your faith with a non-believer, with, a, with somebody that does not know Christ. It's just, an, it's just optional. Contrary to what the Word of God says. Jesus' clearest command, other than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is to go into all the world make, make, and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, and teaching everything, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That is a thing called the Great Commission. It is all over Scripture. 51% of people think it's optional. Uh, August 31st, 2020, Pew Research Center found that half of Christians say that casual sex between consenting adults is sometimes or always acceptable. Contrary to what the Word of God says. March 4th, uh, I'm sorry, uh, March 27th, 2018, Barna Research found that 51% of churchgoers don't know of the Great Commission. Never even heard of the Great Commission, which I just said is, the, is probably the clearest command of Jesus in Scripture. 51%. It's not that, they're, that they've heard it and are disobeying it. It's that they haven't even heard of it, you guys. August 9, 2020, the Gospel Coalition found that a majority of U.S. Christians don't believe the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is simply this. There's good news, bad news, and good news. Good news is God created the world, doesn't make junk. Bad news is we blew it. We, we, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short, and because of that, we deserve hell. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came to this, came to this world, lived as a man, was crucified, dead, buried, was resurrected on the third day, conquering sin, so that those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. And 51% of people who call themselves Christians don't believe that. We've thrown off the old legal pathways, you guys. We've thrown off the confines of Scripture and are in the new era where we know nothing but Jesus, right? <clears throat> we have no idea what the Christian faith is about or even what God says. We've moved into a compromised, lukewarm, worldly, no different than the world faith that's shaped more by mass media and cultural pressure than by the word of God. That's where we are. And I'm here to call you away from that, church. I'm here to call you away from that. 
Mark 12, 20, Mark 12, 30 says this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I want to focus on one of those today. I want to focus on loving God with your mind. Loving God with your mind. Um, it, it, it's the key to all the other three. You would think that loving God with all your heart is it, but no, it's not. You, we are called to love God with our minds because our mind is the center. We get this right, everything else follows. See, uh, the mind is the beginning of all thought, of action, of beliefs. And we get that right, the rest of ourselves, the rest of our bodies will follow. Uh, all sin begins in the mind. If we love God with our minds, we're going to think differently about things. Um, all beliefs begin in the mind. We get our thoughts right, you guys, then the rest of our life will follow. The main thing today is this. If we don't love God with our minds, we don't love him at all. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 119. It's right in the smack in the middle of your Bible. It's the longest psalm. You can look it up on your version if you have one of these. Look it up on version. You can, you can open up your Bible, and we also have it on the screens, but I want you guys to dive in to God's word today. <clears throat> As a pastor, many people ask me, um, what should I do in this situation? What should I do in this situation? And, and I try to give counsel, but every time somebody asks me that question, I find myself more and more just saying, you know, instead of me telling you what to do, I wish you would just love the word of God because the word of God will tell you better than me what you should do in this situation. The spiritual discipline of study, you guys, is nothing more than developing a love for God's word. That's all it is. It, it sounds so academic and everything, but it's not. All it is is developing a love for God's word. And so my, my, my prayer is just kind of like, God, give us a love for your word. Psalm 119, one through seven. Psalm 119, you need to read it more and more because it's, it's it basically a celebration of God's word. It's this guy, whoever wrote this, I don't know, it may have been King David, we don't know, but it, but it's just this guy who is just spends his entire psalm, the longest psalm in the Bible, loving the word of God, praising the word of God, praising the good things that the word of God is, and it's just awesome. It's a celebration of God's word. <clears throat> Start off, verse one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, then I would not be put to shame. And when I consider all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. <clears throat> when I read that, that just strikes me as odd. It just does, and I'll tell you why. Early in my walk as a, as a Christian, I had a different relationship with God's word than I have now. Um, I've never been much of a rule follower. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, it drove my parents crazy because deadlines were guidelines. I always had the attitude, how close to this line can I get before I really get in trouble? How far over the line can I get? It drove my parents crazy. Right, and uh, uh, I, I saw God's word again as just another rule book, um, things to do. I saw God's commands as rules to follow, but not words to be cherished and loved. And like many, I approached God's word as I approached kind of a midnight curfew. How serious are the folks about me being in at midnight? You know, how serious can I be in at twelve o five, twelve ten? Are they really going to stay up and 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 see if I came in at midnight? Are they really going to do that? That was kind of my attitude towards God's word. And that's probably where a lot of us are this morning, if we were honest. But look at the different attitude that the author has here towards God's word. He, his one lament 
is he says this, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. The only thing this guy's upset about in this passage is that he hasn't followed God's words more closely. That's the only thing that's bothering him. It's the only thing that's, that's killing him in here is that he hasn't been faithful to God's word. And, and I'm just scratching my head, man. You know, this would be like me as a senior in high school clutching my chest and saying, oh, mom and dad, if only I were more faithful in being in when you told me to be in. You know, uh, oh, oh, mom and dad, your, your, your righteous laws are music to my heart. That, that, that's like what it's saying here. And, I, and, I, and I, as I was reading this, like, what is going on with this guy? Well, this is a man whose heart and whose minds have been transformed by God. That's what this is. That's how that attitude comes out, okay? Uh, he's probably a lot older than me. I'm 46. This guy who's writing this is probably a lot older than me. And he's probably looking back over his life as people in our 40s start to do. I don't, you don't do that much in your 20s, 30s. There's not much to look back on, honestly. But when you get in your 40s and beyond, you really start looking back on your life. And that's what this guy is doing. And he's looking, and you can hear him, you can see him examining, man, the times where life worked out, the times where I actually did well, the times where I was successful, where things just went well, are the times, Lord, when I followed you, and the times, my goodness, when I made a mess of things, when I destroyed my life, when I hurt people that I really loved, were the times, man, I stumbled off the path, and, I, and I'm seeing it now, I see it now, Lord, looking back on my life, the times where I've been faithful to you have been the best times of my life oh how I love your word do you see what's going on I don't know if any of you have been in that situation yet I am I can do that I when I read this I realize that's what this guy is doing and he's trying to shout to the world, listen, God's ways are better. I love God's ways because I, I love his commands. I, they are not burdensome to me because when I have followed them, man, life has been amazing. And when I have disobeyed them, my goodness, the consequences are more than I can bear. That's what's going on here. See, guys, the goal of study isn't to follow God's word. That's not it. It is to learn to love God's word so that you don't have to worry about whether or not you follow it. <clears throat> See, as a pastor, my goal for this church isn't to have a bunch of robots who follow blindly what God's word says. I don't want that. Okay, I don't want you guys to follow what God says because you're afraid of his punishments or because you want his rewards. See, people in the Soviet Union during under communism followed Joseph Stalin not because they loved him or they loved his word because they were afraid of the, of, of the secret police busting down the door and carting them off to the gulag. That's why they followed what Stalin said. That's not what we want here. We want you guys to develop a love for God's word and God's commands and therefore follow that. That's my goal for this church. Have a bunch of people who love God's ways and love God's commands, who see the joy in following his ways and find in the Bible the very key to life itself. That's what I want for this church. I'm zealous for that. I'm, I want that for you all so much. And I want that for myself because our attitude towards God's word is our attitude towards God's, God himself. I don't know if you know that or not, but look what John, Jesus says in John 14, 23 through 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What? Uh-oh. You mean the way we love God is by following what he's, yes. It's exactly right. That's what Jesus says. 
My Father will love them, he, he will, we, and we, we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And a few uh, books later, in 1 John 2, 3 through 6, John writes this, the apostle writes this, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made truly complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. When we look at this piece of scripture, you guys, how many of us are living a lie? How many of us are living a fake existence? Seriously, how many? We don't love God's ways. We, don't, we have no intention of following him. Maybe we're, you're in relationships or in situations right now where you're gonna walk out of this church and disobey what God has to say with, with, with no problem. And what does that say? See, you guys, this church... It's very different than many churches that I could, and probably, I could probably take the most controversial passage in the Bible and preach on it, and you all would at least go home and think about it. You, you wouldn't send, send hate mail. I, I, you, you, guys, you guys are very different than a lot of churches. Most pastors report being afraid to preach on things that are controversial because they'll get hate mail or, or anonymous mail or, or the, the people leaving the church or calls for the pastor to be fired. I, 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 that is a very real thing, and you guys are to be commended for that because you're an amazing church. I saw a picture this week. Check this out. Um, it says this. When someone says, I disagree with that sermon, they actually mean, the first thing, the Greek verb implies something else. The light in light of the historical context, I go another direction. XG's one spot on, or the largest one, I took that personally, and you're just a stupid head. All right? And a survey of pastors, when they saw this pie chart, they universally agreed that the orange area should be significantly bigger. Okay? Uh, but see, how, how many of us are living a lie? When it comes to God's word, do we love what God tells us? When we read a word of God or we hear it preached and we hear something we don't like or see something we don't like, what is our attitude? You know, I'm just going to get real controversial here. When you read or you hear about God's plan for marriage, it's between man and woman. What do you do? Uh, how about when you read uh, in Psalm 139 about how God's concern for the unborn, how I knew before you were born, I knew you, I formed you. I, in Psalm 139, when it comes to the topic of abortion, um, how about um, when, when Jesus says, when, when, when the Bible says, give for the first 10% of your income, uh, not the last 10%, but the first 10%, what do you do with that? Um, when, when, it, when Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, Instead of sitting on your couch and, and increasing your own kingdom, what do you do with that? Let's see, what other controversial things? Can, how, how else can I hack off everybody? Let's see here. Um, how about uh, well, Ephesians 4.29? It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That, I think like 90% of what comes out of our mouth would, is wrong now. Um, how about when Jesus talks about not having sex until marriage? Uh, or, or about only dating Christians and not being unequally yoked? or about guarding your hearts and your minds, about being wise about what you watch and listen and read. What do you do with all of those things? Do you get mad? Do you get up and walk away? Do you send the pastor hate mail? Or do you say, I need to bring my life into line with God's word? See, what we think about God's word is what we think about God himself. There's no difference. Study the word of God will do one of two things in your life, you all. 
It will either move you closer to God, you'll realize that you're wrong and you move closer to God, or you will realize that the word of God is wrong and you'll move away from God. Those are the two things that'll happen. One thing that'll happen, you won't stay the same. So, God, so guys, when it comes to loving God with our mind, this is what we have to do. First thing, study. The discipline of study prepares us for the challenge, okay? Prepares for the challenge. I'm, I'm a soccer coach, and there's a thing we do called practice. Some players do it, some players don't. You can tell a big difference between the ones that practice and the ones that don't. Now, why do you practice? You practice so that when the game time happens, then you will be able to, uh, you, you'll be able to, to meet the challenge. You've practiced. You've got muscle memory. So I've asked Tim here. Come on up here, Tim. Um, we're going to show you the difference between someone who has practiced and someone who hasn't. All right? Now, now do, do that again. Okay, so I'm watching. Okay, so you're juggling. And obviously, oh no, you've practiced, okay? You've obviously practiced. Now, I have never juggled before. So here it goes. All right, I'm gonna give it a shot here, Tim. Actually, I got better than I thought. I actually got two, so, so here you go. Okay, thank you. Let me see, can, yeah, you got another one? Thank you. I'm gonna try that again, I'm gonna try that again here. Okay, I'm gonna try it again. You start off with two in the right, right? Okay. It doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Tim. How many of us in life situations look more like me than like Tim? You're up against the temptation, you're up against someone who's challenging your faith. You're up against something that you believe to be wrong, and you're presented with the challenge. But because you have not loved God with your mind, you're, you're, you have not studied, you fumble. How many of us look like that? We're in a tempting situation, and we fall. Not because we're evil people, but because we haven't practiced, we have not loved God with our mind, so we are not ready for the challenge. In the moment of the decision, it's too late. If you think you can walk out on a soccer field and play without practicing, you're gonna be, you're gonna be destroyed by players that have practiced. In the same way, in, in life situations, if you are not prepared the word of God, you will not be able to meet the challenge. As a young single guy in college, I learned this very, very quickly. I went to college with no way, with, 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 with basically unpracticed in living my Christian faith in college. It's a very, very difficult environment, very tempting. And 2 Timothy 2.22 became my marching orders. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, I'm supposed to flee away from all these things that, that, that was being thrown at me. I'm supposed to flee from them and surround myself with people that were moving in the same direction as me to, to pursue righteousness and truth, faith, love, and justice. So, guys, when I was up against that situation, boom, I was able to, I was able to know what to do instead of floundering around. So, guys, it prepares us for the challenge. I, don't, I want to speak to the high schoolers and the middle schoolers here, and parents. I don't know if you know what, what, what's, what's being thrown at our kids right now, but there's all types of things that are not of Scripture, not of the Bible, being thrown at our kids right now, and your kids are succumbing to it, not because they're bad kids, because they're not 
practiced. They don't know the word of God. They're like slaves who've been kept uneducated and therefore easy to control and influence. All right? The second thing the study does shows us what to prioritize. Life is priorities. That's all it is. That's all it is. That's what life is. It's priorities. All right? Psalm 119, 36 and 37. The guy says this, Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Guys, our biggest fear in life should not be of failure. It should be of succeeding in things that don't matter. That's what our biggest fear should be. When we get to the end of our lives, we should be afraid that we spent our lives in meaningless pursuits, things that don't matter for eternity. All right, your two most precious resources are money and time. Those are your two most precious resources. And far too often we spend both of those in things that don't matter. Arguing with strangers online, uh, worrying about what will happen tomorrow, buying things you don't need and won't use, uh, binge watching a show you don't really like. God's word tells us to turn our eyes away from selfish gain and off of worthless things. Someone once said we work jobs we hate to buy things we don't need, with money we don't have, to impress people we don't like. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Study of God's word leads us away from that nonsense. Study of God's word turns our hearts towards God's ways. Spend our lives not in meaningless nonsense, but on purpose. That's what God's word does. The inner professions we were designed to do that we were built to do using our 100,000 hours of work. That's about how much long, uh, much in a lifetime you're gonna spend working 100,000 hours uh, of work to serve, to bring about God's kingdom, uh, using our incomes, not to build ourselves a castle, but to, uh, but, but to bring about God's will in the world, to turn our hearts away from selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things and turn my heart, Lord, towards things of infinite worth. An example from my own life, um, I've lived, I did some math, you guys. My, my, if, Mr. Lyon, if you're watching, my math teacher, I did some math. Um, I've lived 46 years and 155 days. Uh, that is 16,945 days or 406,680 hours. That's how, that's how long I've been alive. I've wasted a lot of those hours, you guys. I spent a lot of those hours doing things I shouldn't have done and didn't even want to do, which is crazy. I didn't even enjoy doing the things that I chose to do. Also wasted a lot of money on things I didn't need, shouldn't have bought. I imagine most of us could say the same thing. Can I get an amen? I will say this, however. I have never regretted one hour or one dollar spent on serving orphans. Not a single dollar or single hour. Uh, my wife and I sponsor several children, both through our, our orphanage in India and through Compassion International. I highly recommend you guys doing the same. My family's made five trips over to India, 30 hours on the plane one way each time, 10 days at a time. It's a lot of hours and a lot of dollars. And I've not regretted a single moment. The Bible tells us that Jesus is found in the least of these. That's where he's found not in mansions, hills, but in the lowest, the most neglected. Orphans are the least of these. When, the, when I hear the word say, Lord, turn our hearts away from worthless things and towards things of value, 
I see that. Guys, without study of word of God, we'll simply live our lives in meaninglessness. And like the rest of our neighbors, like everybody else, working jobs we hate, buy things we don't need, money we don't have, to impress people we don't like. Can any of you all say that your life is lived on purpose? Or are you like everyone else, it seems, just kind of drowning in meaninglessness? Well, the word of God calls us away from that. We study it, and it calls away to something greater, something that will last for eternity. That, well, that's what we're called to prioritize. Third thing the study does, it leads us to freedom. Now, this is the strangest one, okay? It leads us to freedom. How in the world does following a bunch of laws and rules in the Bible lead to freedom? Well, here's what it says, Psalm 119, 44 through 48. He says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Study of the word of God leads to freedom. Well, how does, it, how does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. Now, those of you guys that, that are visiting, I'm glad you're here. Those of you that are online, um, for, since 2012, I've been involved in a fatherhood ministry in the prison. I go in there and teach fatherhood skills. Me and Bud Burdett and my dad uh, uh, have, have all been involved in that ministry up until this year because of COVID, which we haven't been able to do, uh, go in there. But we've been doing that. We have between 10 and 12 incarcerated fathers in the class. And I get to know them and I get to, I, I really, I hear their stories. They're great people. I really enjoy being around them. But guys, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Do you guys think that those guys feel free? They're in jail. They do not feel free. Instead of following God's commands about stealing or killing, yes, there have been people who, are, who have killed in our classes or a substance abuse, whatever. They did those things, and now they're, they're, they have their entire lives taken from them because they did not obey God's laws. And they're serving time, lots of time, anything but freedom, you guys. But I'm not just talking about the legal system. This past Thursday, I was thinking about this. It had been a tough day, Thursday. Thursday was a tough day. Um, I'd gotten a heartaching, heartbreaking call from a friend I've known for many, for many years. He had gotten a girl pregnant in high school, and he and the mom didn't get along at all. Terrible situation between the two of them. He's up to his neck in child support. His job doesn't pay very much. Uh, and mom had done everything she could to keep child away from him, not showing up for visits, not allowing him to see his son. He's going to court again. That's what he was calling me about. Mom had just gotten married, and she wants her new husband to adopt the kid. He's being crushed financially every month, and she knows it, and she's trying to use that as leverage to get him to give up parental rights of his seven-year-old son. He called me and told me that his son last visit had told him that mom had said all kinds of bad things about him, trying to turn the child against him. I mean, it, it is a mess, you all. It is a mess. The stress, the chaos, the financial setback, the feeling of helplessness he has had for the last seven years has been overwhelming. I really feel for the guy because there's really nothing that could be done to make it any better. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. On, 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 uh, he can deal with his mom, this mom, be crushed financially, uh, uh, child support every month for 11 years, try to parent this child with a hostile ex, with, a, with a, another man in the house and all this kind of thing. Uh, or he can give up his parental rights and never see his 
flesh and blood again. Talk about being in prison, you all. And immediately I thought, not in a judgmental way because I really love this guy and I'm, I'm there for him, praying for him. But I immediately thought, what if he had followed God's commands? What if he had waited until marriage? Now, now God's grace covers the sin. We believe that. It certainly does. Christians are free from eternal consequences of sin. But this is a situation now. And I realize that God's commands are there, you guys, not to limit, not to put a stranglehold on your life, but to keep you from dealing with the consequences of your actions for the rest of your life. That is why God, that's why this guy realizes that God's word lives, leads to freedom, that following God's commands leads to a free life, not always dealing with the consequences of everything you've done. Right, Free from stress and worry and chaos and, and consequence, like I said, that can overwhelm and crush us. Study of God's commands can save you from, be, from the life my friend is now living. Guys, that's why he says that the study of the word of God leads to freedom. So many of us have to learn that the hard way, unfortunately. The person that walks with God can sleep easy at night, free from all the, all the consequences that we face. Next thing, study keeps us from really screwing up everything. Psalm 119, 101 through 104. I want parents to listen to this. I want children to listen to this. Check this out. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might, not, might obey your word. For I have not departed from your laws. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Get this, Psalm 105, verse 104. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. How many of you parents want your children to hate every wrong path? Not just to avoid it, but to hate it. Teach them the word of God. Verse 104 is my desire, not just for myself, my children, for all of you. Not just to avoid every wrong path, but to hate every wrong path. Not to look with, with, with longing eyes at what, at what is wrong, but to look at it and hate it. I want myself, my kids, my church, I want us to hate every wrong path. I want, I want us to hate the thought of cheating on our spouses. I, want us, I don't want us just to avoid that. I want us to hate it. I want us to hate the thought of consuming substances that addict us. I don't want you to just stay away from drugs and everything. I want you to hate that. I want it to revolt you. I want, I want, it to, I want, I want a, a feeling of, of, of nausea in your stomach when you think about that. I want us to hate gossip and slander and lying and bitterness and all the things that this world throws at us. I don't want us just to avoid it. I want us to hate it from our guts. Guys, that's, that's what God's word does for us. It stops us from royally screwing up because we hate every wrong path. But we don't know the wrong paths if we are not in the word of God. And the last thing is that study reveals to us the very heart of God himself. So many people want to know God. They never crack open the Bible. God can be known. See, un unlike Islam, which says that God cannot be known, it's blasphemous to even think about that. God can be known. He wants to be known. The Bible is a treasure trove of the very words of God himself to us. It contains stories of people who walk with God, people that have failed, people that have succeeded. That, that's what the word of God is. That's what the Bible is. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. It reveals God himself. The main thing is we don't love God with our minds, you all. We don't love him at all. I invite the band to come on back up. I invite the band to come back up, and, and we're going to continue to worship 
Slave masters, you guys, know that the uneducated slave is the easiest to control. The uneducated one is the easiest to control, and Satan knows that about you as well. That the uneducated Christian, the one that does not know the word of God, is the one that's easiest to tempt, the one that's easiest to control, the one that he can render completely ineffective in this world. Looks like from those studies that he's doing a good job of it. And people uneducated to the truth, uneducated to their rights, uneducated to their purpose, uneducated to the God that created them and loves them and calls them, those are the people that are easiest to control. Don't sell yourself short, Christians. Don't sell yourself short. Let us be people who love the word of God, who love the Bible and the God who gave it to us. Let, us, let study shape our lives. Let our constant study of God's word move us closer to the very heart of God himself. Just letting you guys know the resources available to us now when it comes to study, there is no excuse. There really is no excuse. You can, if, if you have an iPad or, or, or you have a phone, smartphone, whatever, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. There are Bible reading plans that, that you can, all you have to do is click on it. They can take you through from, from people that are just starting out to people, uh, I, I guess, that have, that have read the Word of God many, many, many times. Um, there, there, there's no excuse for us not to be people of the Bible other than our own laziness. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it out. Other than our own laziness, that's the only reason we're not people of the Bible. And guys, I'm telling you, study will shape your life. Let's love God with our minds. Because if we don't love him with our minds, we don't love him at all. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take away any laziness or complacency out of our hearts. And I pray that you would put within us a burning passion for, for your word. I pray that, that uh, uh, people in this church would look at your Bible like a starving person looks at an all-you-can-eat buffet and would just dive right in and realize that your word is what is satisfying to our souls. Lord, so many of us are like the author of Psalm 119. We can look back and we can see that following, the times we followed your commands have been the best times of our lives, best decisions we've made, and the times when we have neglected your word are the times we have just royally screwed things up and maybe some of us are still paying for it. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to follow early. I pray that you would turn our hearts away from meaningless things into the things that are of eternal value that you reveal to us in your word. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's